This is Joel Backler, author of Digital Influence, Unleash the Power of Influencer Marketing to Accelerate Your Global Business, and you are listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, which was named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer. My goal for this podcast is to help you discover new ideas about what's actually working in the quickly changing field of modern marketing and sales. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since you're a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or some other helpful resource that I know of for whatever situation you find yourself in, just connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I'll try to point you in the right direction. Also, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Blinkist. Blinkist is an app that takes the key insights from the best nonfiction books and distills them into a format that you can read or listen to in just a few minutes on your smartphone. Several of the books featured on the Marketing Book Podcast are on Blinkist. You can sign up for free at Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast. Blinkist is spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. And if you opt for the paid version, you'll get an additional 20% off, but only if you go to Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast. I also have a link to it at MarketingBookPodcast.com. I'll have more on Blinkist in a few minutes. And now on with the show. Today, we welcome Joel Backler to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about his new book, Digital Influence, Unleash the Power of Influencer Marketing to Accelerate Your Global Business, published by Palgrave Macmillan. Joel Backler is a global marketing strategist, author, and international keynoter. He is a managing director at Frontier Strategy Group. He's a member of the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations and the award-winning author of China Goes West. His thought leadership has been featured in Forbes, BBC, the Financial Times, and he's worked with many of the world's top global brands, including Coca-Cola, Johnson & Johnson, Philips, Cisco, and HP. And, interesting fact, he speaks fluent Mandarin. Joel, congratulations on Digital Influence, and welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast. Thank you so much, Douglas. It's great to be here. So uh, regular listeners to the show uh, may think there's a guest host, which I, I sound like Barry White. We got it together, didn't we? I have, uh, I'm recovering from a little bit of a chest cold, so it's, it's me, and I feel great. <laughs> I just sound different today. So I just wanted to mention that uh, two years ago at Content Marketing World, I moderated the influencer track, which was like four keynotes, and it was sponsored by Tracker, uh, a leading influence influencer management platform that was mentioned, along with many others in your book. And I was pleased to see that uh, I'm pretty sure two of the four presenters from that track were quoted in the book, uh, Amisha Gandhi from SAP and Lee Oden from Top Rank Marketing. So, wow, you know, I, I've actually met some of these people that you you talk about uh, in the book. And, and there were about a half dozen authors I've had the honor of interviewing for the podcast that you featured in the book. So I uh, I read this book. I learned a lot about influencer marketing. And I also felt like, hey, I may be on the right track here. What I wanted to say was Mark Schaefer described your book as the how-to book on influencer marketing the world has been waiting for. Congratulations on that. No, thank you. Mark was such a great resource in helping me, um, both in terms of the content that he's produced and the interviews that we did. Um, and so it meant a lot for him to, to lend that endorsement to the book. Terrific. So uh, Mark Schaefer, uh, this is going to be more about Joel Backler, okay? But Mark Schaefer is the king of the Marketing Book Podcast. He's been on four times. And with any luck, his new book, he's going to be Mr. Five-Timer. But not too long ago, I noticed he posted something on social media about influencer influencers. And it was about Urban Outfitters had introduced an influencer Halloween costume, uh, which the New York Post has described in a headline as, quote, influencer Halloween costume manages to be both brilliant and stupid. And uh, the, the costume was like a, a minimalist. It's supposed to look like Kim Kardashian, I think. Minimalist, sporty, chic bra top and cotton leggings. Uh, it says it looks like a, a Yeezy knockoff. 
I just thought that was that was crazy. Uh, there's there's Halloween costumes for influencer marketing, and I just want you to know, Joel, that I went ahead and bought that outfit, and I'm wearing it right now. Well, I'm I'm glad you uh, are suited up for the occasion. The halter top, it's really freaking out my coworkers, and it's really rather uncomfortable. But anyway, I'm not really wearing that outfit. But I just thought that was that was sort of that happy days jump the shark thing when there's now influencer costumes. So the forward by Peter Shankman was a barn burner. That was absolutely terrific. And I would like to quote one thing from it here and then uh, get into it. He says, you're about to dive into Joel's book for several reasons, but in the end, only two really matter. You want to find out what influencer marketing actually is. You want to see how you can use it for your business or company. And more importantly, you want to understand how it works to learn how to stack the odds so that your investment in the world of social influence will generate a substantial return time after time. So, Joel, please, what the heck is influencer marketing? Yeah, so, uh, I mean, let me rewind it back and kind of tell you a little bit about why I wrote the book, because I think it it feeds into the kind of what influencer marketing is and who are influencers. So, uh, a couple years ago, I came across a really interesting case study um, that was about a relatively large online education company based here in California. They have about 500 people or so, and their marketing team identified and collaborated with Chinese influencers on the local platform WeChat to grow sales to a point where the country is now the company's second biggest market outside the U.S. And the funny thing is they don't even have an office there. So I can tell you a little bit more about that case study later on in our discussion, but that's what grabbed my attention. And so given my focus kind of on global marketing, I thought, could I create a book that was really about how companies could engage local influencers in foreign markets to expand internationally? And I thought that would make a good follow-on to my first book about Chinese brands going global. Um, but when I started doing my research, I started speaking to all sorts of people. So marketing executives, agency leads, MarTech vendors, and of course, influencers themselves. So in the, at the end of the day, I interviewed about 100 individuals in total from all over the world. And, and to get to your question, the more I dug into the topic of influencer marketing, I found that while it's talked about a lot, and there are a lot of articles about it, it's just widely misunderstood. And Peter gets to this really hits this point really hard in in the foreword where, you know, basic terms like who is an influencer are widely debated. If you're in the B2B space, if you're someone like Amisha at SAP, you're thinking about, okay, I'm looking at bloggers, industry thought leaders, unbiased individuals who can help help advance discussions around key parts of my business, whether that's artificial intelligence or other key technologies. Um, If you're a toy company, you're thinking about them as maybe toy unboxers on YouTube. So kids that are driving excitement into new products because that's just the way that children are now finding out about new toys in their world. And then, so it really varies depending on B2C, B2B. And it's really, so what I, in writing the book, I want to have a very common definition about who influencers are and also provide kind of a basic framework of each step of the process. So everything from identification, how do you reach out to influencers in a way that they'll respond effectively? How do you collaborate with them in ways that aren't just paying to promote a product? Or how do you measure ROI where it's not just vanity metrics, but you're really thinking about things like lead generation and sales. So because of this, I refocused kind of the premise of the book from what was originally going to be more of a international focus book to really a how-to guidebook for marketing leaders to build world-class influencer marketing practices. Um, So this works both locally and internationally. And so in doing so, I was able to help clarify many of these terms. So I'll pause for a moment, but just the way that I define influencers in the book is very broadly, they are known for something within a target community, and they can influence the actions of target community members. That's it. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad you took a step back to write this book because it needed to be written. Now, I'm not in the business of giving out unsolicited career advice to the guests on the show, but it seems to me like you could still write that second book about global influencer marketing now that you've written this one. No, definitely. And I think as the trend evolves, and we'll talk about this, but I feel that a lot of the talk around influencer marketing and a lot of what's published tends to be very superficial and high level. It's a lot of talk about these transactional campaigns where consumer company X pays influencer Y, 
um, to post something about their business. And while that can work in some cases, I think where this really is going to have legs over time is when companies are building these you know, much more dedicated, always-on influence relations practices that are both domestic and also global in nature because the way that their audiences access information now, the voice of influencers will continue to become more and more important as they're a natural filter for what matters most for the customers. Right. So if you met one of your parents' friends at a cocktail party and you happen to mention this book um, and they said, I never heard of that. What is influencer marketing? How, how would you explain that? Um, well, I'd say, you know, quite simply, it, it, and I think Jay Bayer said this in the last podcast you did with him, it, it's really something that's existed since the beginning of time, since early, like an early caveman gave the first recommendation of, you know, which stick starts the best fire. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think where it has added relevance nowadays is this technology enablement component. So it used to be that you could only influence the people that are in your immediate circles, the people that you could directly touch that have known you well. It's the idea of, you know, going to your friend that you know is a big car enthusiast and he's the one you're going to go to when you're making that car purchase because you don't know that much. You've done some research online, but you know he knows all about the latest features and things that you want to put in that car. Mm -hmm. What's different today is these online influencers, especially category influencers, people that are known for specific topics among a niche community, these individuals can share that same information, but it can be with anyone. It doesn't need to be around their families and their friends. It's about them being able to share with anybody who's interested in the topic and can find them on whatever platform they're producing content on. I do want to ask you related to that to explain what you mean when you talk about the marginalization of industry gatekeepers. Yeah, so this is from the beginning of the book, and there was, a, a, I felt it was important, again, providing that context up front is to talk about how did we get here. So uh, I'd say one of the things that's important here in this story is that gatekeepers really are losing relevance. I mean, there's always going to be a place for them, but they're no longer as important as they once were. And when I say gatekeepers, I'm talking about things like people. I'm talking about individuals like media producers, uh, publishers. Um, traditional media, people that essentially are, are giving you the, the yes or no in your ability to produce content and get it out there for the world to see. Mm-hmm. And well, if you want to get on CNN or CNBC or the Today Show, of course, you're going to have to work with a producer and go through the traditional routes. But now through all of these different social media platforms, to, it's not necessary for influencers or people that are becoming influencers to rely on anybody else besides their own efforts and their own drive to get the word out there. And so that's something that's very different from before, where the only way to really get in front of masses, especially people that are nowhere near your immediate circles, was through gatekeepers. And now there are many other options to do that than where than there were before. Yeah. So you mentioned one of these, but let's help the listener understand the different types of influencers. If you could compare and contrast, Joel, uh, there's celebrity influencers and then category influencers, which you mentioned, and then micro influencers. This really helps, I think, will clear up for, for the listener what uh, these, these different groups are you're talking about. If anybody that's following this space, you'll see there's 100 white papers out there with probably 100 more different ways to categorize influencers. And a lot of times they're doing that based on following. And I I tried very hard not to assign a number to these people because I think it's not the not there's only so much you can gain from the number of followers that someone has to be able to classify how much influence they have. And there's a whole chapter dedicated to, you know, how influencers fake influence in some cases to build up their followings. (laughs) We're definitely going to talk about that. That's terrific. Yeah, but in general, I tried to break it down into the three categories, like you said, of celebrity influencers, category influencers, and micro-influencers. And at a basic level, going back to the car example, I kind of gave three examples here. So a celebrity influencer, somebody that's kind of widely known. And it's somebody like, for example, in the book, I say, all right, that's if you're a NASCAR fan. I mean, I'm personally not, but it's someone that's known as Dale Earnhardt Jr. He is somebody that when it comes to automotive, if he were to be talking about something, he would have that kind of credibility and people would listen to what he has to say. Right. Or a celebrity that might wear the Urban Outfitter influencer Halloween costume. Yep, exactly. (laughs) Um, And then there's also on the category side, there's an influencer that goes by the name Eric the Car Guy. And for many years, he's produced content on YouTube about 
automotive. And so he's become somebody that's known in that specific category as someone that is known for automotive. And at the same time, even though he has X hundred million followers or X that tens of thousands of followers, he can't talk about something else. He can't be the one talking about the latest Halloween costume trends and have that same level of influence. Right. But as long as he's talking about automotive, then then he is an influencer in that space. Just like years ago when Gary Vaynerchuk did Wine Library, he was an expert on wine, you know, working at the, his family's uh, wine store. Exactly. And and so I'd say micro-influencer, like in this framework that I developed, it's, it could be somebody that has an online presence. Maybe they don't. But at the end of the day, they're known for something among that set group of people. And they're essentially able to influence people on that topic. So it could be your friend, Robert, who is just obsessed with cars. Maybe he has a blog with a, a few hundred people that read his posts. But when people go to his content or when people speak to him, they know he's an expert in the space. Mm-hmm. And so the book kind of breaks this out in a little bit more detail, especially in category influencers. It can talk about them both as established, so ones that have very large followings, and anybody in that industry will know their name 100%, and then kind of emerging. So people that you know have very large audiences, but they're not quite to the point where everybody in that niche or in that industry are, have known about them. So they're still kind of building it up. So there's a, definitely a rise and fall of, of, of influence, if you think about it, in terms of how these influencers are, bu- are building their audiences and, and gaining influence over time. Yeah, yeah. Now, it's acronym time. Now, I <laughs> I say that jokingly because I loved the ABCC um, framework that you offered. And the reason it was so interesting, and I want to ask you to go through those if you, if you would, because at each one of these, authenticity, brand fit, community, and content, <laughs> you showed how companies, sometimes very large companies, have completely blown it just by not following these four these four uh, kind of guardrails. Yeah, no, com- completely. And so when I was thinking about what makes an influencer influential, kind of as this world of modern day digitally powered influencers, um, I, so I came up with this framework of A for authenticity, B for brand fit, C for community, and C for content. And I'll tell you about what each of these is in a little bit more detail. Um, so, so authenticity is kind of at the center of everything that gives an influencer their influence. It's the fact that they're building up a trusted reputation with their audience, and that trust is incredibly important. And the way this comes in is when you think about the brand collaborations that they do. The moment that an influencer is kind of either talking about things that don't relate to what they're known for, or is, is clearly working out of a, a different motivation rather than trying to keep an, their community engaged and growing and adding value. Value, they're losing their authenticity and then they lose their influence in the process. So an authenticity fail, an example, I think is what it was in the book, is the, the blogger in LA who was hired by Volvo to talk about their waterless car washes. Yes. Yeah, so there was there's an example later on in the book where it looks at, you know, essentially Volvo going to an influencer that was based in LA. Her name was Christelle Lim. And what she's known for among her audience is essentially motherhood advice, health and beauty advice, and she has a very large and engaged community. But there was a time a few years ago that Volvo Cars was coming out with a, a new car wash solution. It was eco-friendly, it was waterless, and she made a post on Instagram that was like essentially how happy she was that she had found this Volvo car wash solution and how it's impacted the life of her and her husband and her family. And immediately, right. <laughs> her audience just turned turned on her. They said, well, what about that picture from last week where you filled up the bathtub with all the roses or the fact that your clothes are, aren't are made eco-friendly? And they just like went into her again and again and again. So there was this long stream of comments of her audience just turning on her. So obviously negatively impacted her relationship with her audience. And, mm-hmm. you know, while it didn't go back and harm Volvo, it certainly didn't accomplish what they set out to uh, to work with her on. So, yeah, completely this whole brand fit idea and maintaining that authenticity are, are critical to an influencer being successful in the influencer brand relationship. Yeah. So I interrupted. You were going to go into brand fit. Yeah, no. So, I mean, I think that ties into what we just talked about. So, 
I think one of the things that was interesting was I spoke to a, a YouTube influencer here in LA. Her name's Taryn Southern. Um, and she's, I think she said it very well. She said, the fact is the influencer has their own brand. So when a brand collaborates with an influencer, you basically have two brands working together with potentially different values and ways of engaging their audiences, which it sometimes can get messy. They can sometimes come in conflict. Um, and I think that's, that's key is a lot of times a brand will want to work with an influencer in a certain way and they don't give the influencer the necessary freedom to do what they do best. They know their audience. They know what they're looking for. Um, and instead, sometimes the, the brands will put you know these restrictions in place that will prevent the influencer from being able to engage their fans in a way that will generate the outcome that the brand ultimately wants to get. Yeah. You know, from back in my days working on consumer packaged goods brands on Madison Avenue, it the paradigm for me that works is it, it's it's co-branding. <laughs> it's not one trying to take over the other. But also, I found it very amusing in the book how you talked about the struggle that so many brands have not being able to tell the influencer exactly what to do. <laughs> it just it reminded me of the TV commercials where the client would say, you know, it was always the, the make the logo bigger joke. You know, it was just all about the product, nothing about how it might help someone or, you know, kind of the, the, the devoid of the context of, of advertising. Exactly. And that's, as I think about this book, it's really for the brand's perspective. There's a lot of books out there that are about how to become influential. But this book in particular is really for marketers to understand how do you make influencer marketing a successful part of your business. And so it's really from their perspective. Um so I guess tying back to C, or I guess the first C, community. Um, and community in parentheses that goes for reach, resonance, and relevance. And these are the three factors that are, are really making that individual influential. So it's in terms of reach being the total size of the audience that they can get in front of. And that's not necessarily the number that's next to their social profile, because you really need to dig in for a lot of these ways that they can kind of fake influence. Um Resonance is kind of what can help you do that because you're really getting a sense of what's the engagement between the influencer and their audience. Even if you see a lot of comments, are those meaningful comments or are they just you know something that a bot could be generating like great post or a wonderful post? <laughs> like, is there like true back and forth engagement between the influencer and the people they're trying to communicate with? And the and the third part of that is the relevance. So. Is the content and topic matching what the influencer is known for? Are they producing on a consistent set of information? Are they jumping around and, you know, essentially maybe they're known for being a travel influencer, but they're talking about all other sorts of things that may confuse their audience and make it more difficult for a brand to want to work with them? Yeah, and 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 I may be the only one, and back to Gary Vaynerchuk, I'm a big fan, but he's now selling tennis shoes. I don't know if you've you've known about that, but it just seems to me a sort of a disconnect between all the other things <laughs> he's he's done, and now he's got this deal with K Swiss, and it's like, yeah, I, you know, he's so smart, he probably knows what he's doing, but it struck me as something that didn't really resonate. So, at any rate, yeah, exactly, and it didn't resonate with you, and so again, it goes against what he's known for from community members like yourself. Mm -hmm. And then content. Oh yeah, so so content. Uh, this is the last. This is the last of the four. So you have A, B, C, C. This is the the last C of the alphabet that you didn't know about. Um, it's about uh, content and how, how, essentially, how influencers are engaging with their audience, and that's everything. Depending on what the person's known for, it could be anything from recorded video on YouTube, live streaming video, photography on Instagram, any medium. It's just the way that the influencer is building their audience through creating engaging content that you know makes people come back and know about them. Right, right. So now let's let's go to the dark side, Joel. I want to talk about the dark side of working with an influencer. And in the chapter in your book, you talked about two things basically. Fallout from being associated with with an influencer, which, you know, for me was sort of like um like if they've done something wrong, it's just like celebrity. Like if you hire a celebrity for your TV commercials, it's the same, same similar sort of thing. Um, but then the other one is about how influencers are duping marketers and you know why why uh, follower accounts don't equal influence. So, in terms of fallout from being associated with an influencer, um, maybe you could talk about PewDiePie. 
Yeah, so you you summed it up right around the chapter. So it is structured. You have one side is what are the risks of the business? And then the other side are what are the things you want to be looking out for when you see kind of is this influencer truly influential or are there things they're doing behind the scenes? Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, the way the story opens up is actually what you just said. It's the story of PewDiePie, which is very well known in the community. But a few years ago, one of the biggest YouTubers, he's known for being a gamer, but he also has done a number of high-profile stunts where he makes videos that are kind of outrageous. And honestly, sometimes it goes a little too far. Um, so a few years back, uh, Disney had actually acquired the the MCN, or the multi-channel network that represents PewDiePie. And right after that, or very shortly after that, PewDiePie made a post or a video where he was able to, uh, through a freelance marketplace, have people do some fairly anti-Semitic content that he then posted, and it led to a tremendous amount of backlash. And immediately what ended up happening was um, Maker Studios had to cut ties with him. But more importantly, the Disney brand, which obviously has very strong family values and you know cannot be associated with that kind of stuff, was damaged. And, and it's just incredibly important going forward that as companies engage influencers, they're not just thinking about what can they do for me today. It's it's how is this how could this potentially negatively impact me in the future through this association? And so Disney, they ended up really cutting back on Maker's talent roster because they saw through this experience that having a loosely managed network of you know a hundred or so or even more influencers associated in directly or indirectly with their brand was a serious you know, risk that they needed to reduce by kind of having Maker cut back on them. Mm-hmm. So I thought just the most amusing part of the book, well, or maybe I was just rubbernecking, driving by a traffic accidents, but you talked about how you know follower counts, all these sort of vanity metrics, they do not equal influence. And there was a story I'd like you to tell about what uh, Media Kicks did to bring this to light. Yeah, so there's an agency here in Los Angeles called Media Kicks, and they kind of saw this game. They understood kind of what people are doing to beef up their followers and, and make themselves attractive to influ- to some of these brands. And they also saw a flaw in a lot of these influencer marketplace marketplaces that don't really allow brands to do the nece- necessary due diligence in the influencers they want to work with. So they hired a model. Uh, they went around all over Los Angeles taking many different pictures of her. They So that kind of became the basis of their content library. It was like she had different outfits on in yes. different locations. Yeah, she had different outfits. She was in, she was on the beach one day. She was in a cafe the other day, and so it made it look like she has this really fascinating lifestyle. This lifestyle model that's kind of out there, getting people to really enjoy what what her fascinating LA lifestyle is. Um, and so when it, what they then did is they started posting these out on an ongoing cadence, and then they started buying followers gradually over time. Once the followers reached a certain point, they then started buying engagement. And so by the end of, I think, a few, just a few-week period, they turned a relative unknown person into a, a, a big-time lifestyle influencer. Mm-hmm. And this cost them about a million dollars, right? No, I mean, you'd be surprised. I think it costs them you know, a few hundred dollars <laughs> to make it happen, so it's fairly cost-effective. <laughs> it's so funny. You can, you know, people talk about followers and, you know, Twitter followers and all these kinds of things. You can buy that stuff. <laughs> it's, yeah, you it's, should see right through it. It's crazy. I mean, in the book, you'll even see there are these like giant click farms that people put together in Thailand and China where you know, people are sitting in front of walls of iPhones just clicking <laughs> on different posts. <laughs> and so in this example, once once their lifestyle influencer reached a certain level of influence, they then listed her on influence marketplaces. So she ended up getting a deals, I think, with a few different companies um, to promote their products. Because again, a lot of the the influencer marketplaces, it's kind of blind. You're just making a decision based on what supposedly the person's influential on, the number of people they supposedly have influence over, and then you just kind of hope they're going to act in the best interest of your brand. And so they took advantage of this, and they ended up getting, their their influencer ended up getting, I think, two or three paid gigs out of it. And, and was there much fallout from this or discussion? 
Um, I mean, it was, it's really in the, the influence marketing community. People that are following this, most people heard about the story. I think it's widely known that there's, you know, you can't trust all of the numbers. And that's why a lot of the approaches I introduce in the book to kind of dig into this are so important because they know that a number isn't a number. Like most people, there's all sorts of ways from whether you're buying followers or there's different kind of, you know, these these influencer communities where people will like and click everybody's post to boost them. So there's there's many different ways to game the data, mm-hmm. which is why as much as companies try to come out with a fully automated end-to-end solution for influencer marketing, there's always going to be a manual element to it because there's just there's too much that the data itself can't reveal. You really need to get to that that individual themselves and assess them on a one-on-one basis. Yeah, and also the social media platforms I just think they're getting, you know, they're gonna, they're not going to get any dumber at ferreting out these, uh, you know, fake people. And as a matter of fact, the other day I saw an article and I can't remember where, but it showed uh, an analysis of, um, and I don't know how they do it, but like most of the major politicians in, you know, the United States, uh, like the president and some other federal people, uh, like half their followers were fake. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it. We're going to take a break here so I can tell you more about how Blinkist can help your career. Listening to the Marketing Book Podcast says more about you than you may realize. In addition to being physically attractive, seriously, I've met many of you and you are a very attractive audience. It also means that you're curious and serious about your business success and you enjoy learning new things. And your interest in learning also means you're either successful or will be because all the research indicates that big learners are big earners. Plus, with all the changes happening in marketing and sales, continuous learning is crucial, but there's only so much time and you need to manage it carefully. And unless you're, say, the host of the Marketing Book Podcast, you may not be set up to read a book every week. That's where Blinkist can really be a time saver and a career booster. Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, is a smartphone app that takes the key insights from over 2,000 best-selling nonfiction books and distills them into a format that you can read or listen to in just 15 minutes or less. Instead of having to wade through hundreds of pages of a book, spending hours reading each book like I do every week, you can go through two books in 30 minutes. And the books that are on Blinkist are really top-notch, including several books that have been featured on the Marketing Book Podcast, including The New Rules of Marketing and PR by David Merriman Scott, Perennial Seller by Ryan Holiday, Epic Content Marketing by Joe Polizzi, Everybody Writes by Ann Hanley, Hug Your Haters by Jay Bear, and many, many more. It took me hours to read those books, but you can get smart audio summaries of each one in just 15 minutes. Blinkist has been selected as one of the best apps by Forbes, New York Times, and BuzzFeed, amongst others, and it's used by over 1 million people. Right now, Blinkist has a special offer for Marketing Book Podcast listeners. Go to Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast right now, today, to start your free trial or get 20% off your yearly plan when you join. That's Blinkist, B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast to start your free trial or get 20% off your yearly plan. I recommend getting the yearly plan, that's what I did, and getting 20% off because you're going to want to keep it anyway. But don't worry because there's a 30-day money-back guarantee. No questions asked. Go to Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast, and that means you're going to be letting them know that you support the Marketing Book Podcast and that you want that discount. You'll get the free version or 20% off your annual plan. I also have a link to it at marketingbookpodcast.com. It's a great, inexpensive, and very smart investment in your professional development and career. And now, back to the show. You mentioned a couple of these platforms. How how does a company go about you know finding an influencer um, to work with? What what kind of, are there tools they should use and, and what kind of things should they keep in mind besides what we've already talked to them about in terms of fake influence? Yeah, sure. So I think first let's start with what they shouldn't do. A lot of companies, what they do is they find there's an opportunity to work with a relatively high profile influencer and then they reverse engineer a reason why that makes sense to collaborate with them. <laughs> yes, I <laughs> and, saw that. 
and, and that's where things fail time and time again. Oh. And so that's something that's something that's broken that just needs to be fixed. Like let's get Kim Kardashian to retweet one of our tweets or something. Exactly. Like exactly. Yeah. Like I mean, it just it's not going to work unless unless you're what you're trying to achieve really matches with their expertise. And so that goes to what you should be doing, which is you need to be starting with your objectives and goals. What are you trying to accomplish? Why are you trying to, why is an influencer going to be beneficial here? From there, then you're trying to go out and understand what are the characteristics of the individual you're looking for. And there's a few different ways that you can do this. On one hand, companies will work with agencies, um, this is good because oftentimes the agency has worked with the influencer several times in the past, so there's a track record, and there's kind of an understanding there. Um, you can also use some of the influencer identification software that's out there. In the book, I kind of go in and, and talk about a few of them, but there's many where you can get a sense of just generally what's a short list of you know maybe 10 to 15 to 20 influencers that you want to take a closer look at. But that gets to my next point, which is you need to do that next level deep dive. Just doing a, a search and an outreach isn't really going to be sufficient to make sure that you're choosing the right influencer that's going to act in your brand's right interest. It's it, You, you kind of have the agencies, but especially through these, these software platforms, they're really the starting point for next level interactions where it's you're doing that next level research to see, you know, do they have fake followers? Is there that, that right fit with their audience and the topics that they're producing? And then you're having conversations with them and you're trying to really understand, is this somebody that's going to be a good steward of your brand? Because if you take shortcuts, that's where you're going to face challenges. And so each step of the process is incredibly important. Mm -hmm. And at that influencer track that I moderated at Content Marketing World that I mentioned earlier, there were several examples of companies that were able to connect with influencers who were sort of on the way up rather than a, a really famous person right off the bat. And that seemed to work quite well. Yeah, definitely. I think it goes to this idea of you know, there are individuals that are gradually increasing in influence, and then there's people that are kind of established and already at that, I'd say, within their niche, they're at that highest level of fame, I guess you could think about it that way. Um, one example in the book that I think touches on this is an example of the consumer electronics company Lenovo. Um, they worked with three influencers on a global campaign to release a new, uh, it was like a tablet device. It wasn't quite a PC. It also, it wasn't quite a laptop. It also wasn't a, a standard tablet. And so they ended up doing research online and they found a hashtag called good weird. And this is a hashtag that was used to describe think content on the internet that was both good, but in kind of strange or intriguing ways. So they built an entire global campaign around this on the content side, but they worked with um, kind of these up and coming influencers, one in the US, one in Russia and a group in India where they gave them resources to produce their own videos that you know, indirectly feature the product, but give them a lot of creative freedom. It goes back to what we were talking about around really giving them freedom within a framework. Um, and then the results were incredible. They ended up with, they each created a great video themselves that all performed incredibly well online. They then did a joint video where they brought together all three of them on a global basis and kind of a mashup. Um, and then it generated a tremendous amount of interest in the products and also sales, not just in the market, where those influencers were based, but even in markets, uh, I was speaking with their chief marketing officer, and he said even a market like Pakistan that they weren't even targeting, it had a, a big effect because one of the influencers happened to have a, a fairly large portion of followers that were based there. So yeah, I mean, it was very beneficial for them to be working with individuals where, that weren't kind of household name celebrities, but were that were people in those spaces that, that they wanted to target um, that could be kind of a great ambassador for the new product that they were trying to put out there. Yeah, that's great. And let's talk a bit more about B2B. In the book, you quoted Carter Hostily, who said, many B2B laggards think they're doing influencer marketing because they have a public relations firm on retainer. Talk about, I mean, most of the things I think we're talking about and joking about are more of the B2C, business to consumer type things. Talk about what B2B companies uh, need to know about influencer marketing. Yeah, I mean, I think first and foremost, B2B companies need to know that it is very relevant for the work that they do. I think when we talk about B2C or when we talk about influencer marketing, I think, again, a lot of what comes to people's mind is B2C, a lot of this very high level, I'm going to pay somebody to promote a product and get it out there. And, exactly. and that's just what we're, what we're talking about and what I try to argue in the book is that influencer marketing is much more in depth than that and can be much more strategic than that. 
And that's where the B2B side comes in, because if you think about a standard B2B sale when you're working with, as a, let's just say, a technology vendor, they have a really long sales cycle to go through. I mean, depending on where their prospect is in their buying journey, I mean, maybe they're not even sure they want to buy something yet, or maybe they're, you're trying to educate you know, five or six different stakeholders internally over a long period of time. So it's impossible for your sales rep to just like every week be knocking on their door saying, are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? That that doesn't work. <laughs> I, I, I guess not. I mean, I haven't yeah. seen come across many success, successful case studies of that. But what you can do instead is, and what I've seen a lot of these companies do in my research, so companies like IBM, like Microsoft, like Huawei, they're building these what they're calling influencer relations practices. And they're working with groups of influencers on an ongoing basis. And oftentimes it's around kind of building their reputation in a certain space. So maybe they have a network of, let's say, 20 to 50 individuals who are known for a key technology they want to release. So if it's IBM Watson they, and they want to engage you know, the, the 10 to 15 top global AI influencers, and they're working with them, not by paying them money, but by inviting them to attend conferences and getting exclusive access to executives, collaborating on webinars and white papers. It's this indirect collaboration that then creates content that's talking about the company, the solution, and why it's a top um, why it's a top vendor in the space. And so it means that the company can then take that content and, and incorporate it into its content marketing efforts towards the key prospects. So over time, the message isn't just, are you ready to buy it? Hey, you should attend this webinar with so-and-so. He's a leading expert. And by the way, indirectly, you're perceiving that he's associated with our company. And so this type of collaboration is a great way for B2B companies to engage um, to engage prospects over a long-term sales cycle um, and also do it in a way where you're building a community of you know external third parties that are looking out for your best interest. And granted, objectivity is everything with these guys. So it, it, one, an influencer can't just say IBM is the best solution or Huawei is the best solution, but they can provide an objective, unbiased opinion on, you know, uh, how does that how does that solution compare to the other other solutions that are out there? Yeah, you know, I I could be wrong, but when I read all about the B two B influencer marketing, I thought that it's almost like there's even more opportunity for B two B than there is for B two C, and this this could be really um, really powerful. Yeah, it's, it's extremely powerful. I mean, I saw it firsthand. I was in London last November um, as part of my research. I was working with Huawei's influencer relations department, so they obviously sponsored my trip out there. But it, it gave me a unique view to see you know, what their program looks like. They have over 100 individuals internationally that they fly to these conferences. Um, the conferences I attended had about 15 influencers from all around the world, and they each had a specialty in different technologies related to the products that Huawei produces. And so I could see, you know, I could look at people like Tamara McCleary and really see what she was doing, or I could see Des, Des Blanchfield and look at the things that he's doing. The individuals themselves are kind of producing content on the fly right there in the moment where they're producing videos, they're writing blog posts after, they're live tweeting. So it, it amplifies everything to a point where it's much more than just what's happening in that event venue is really bringing it out into a, a broader view for, to make it to make the event relevant for an outside audience that can't actually be in attendance yeah you know it seemed like the on the b2b side um you it, it's much less transactional and you have to be very careful about not paying people or or you know uh, doing this appropriately and it's much more conducive to a long-term relationship rather than this idea of oh let's pay him for this one thing it's like I, one thing I, I took from the book was where you talk about how influencer marketing is not a switch you can just turn on and off. And uh, you talk about that in the, in the future of marketing. But Joel, let me ask just one last question, and that is um, touching on something you mentioned earlier. You said that where brands tend to fall short is when they do not set the right goals at the outset or blindly decide to, quote, test out influencer marketing <laughs> because it seems like the hot new thing to try. How can companies bring more measurement to what is often perceived as a somewhat unmeasurable art? Yeah, so it really depends on the industry and the goals that the company is setting. I mean, 
ROI is really dependent on what you're seeking out to achieve. And so for some companies, maybe they do want general brand awareness. And so they're they're completely fine with measuring things that a lot of people will consider kind of these high-level vanity metrics. Mm-hmm. But there's other ways that you, I've seen companies where they develop different types of um, affiliate codes and sales lead capture pages um, and different ways to really tie it back to specific lead generation and sales generation goals. And I've seen companies, especially in the consumer product space, one of the companies I featured in the book is Kimberly Clark, and they have a personal care product that they used a, a series of YouTube influencers, and they then tied it to an affiliate code that went to Target's page. And so through their relationship with Target as a distributor for their products, they were able to measure how that influencer's content ended up generating sales for their business, which obviously is is the holy grail to be able to see you know, what money am I putting in and then what money am I directly getting out to inform kind of their future prioritization decisions. So there's a lot of different ways to do it. It just ties back to what you're trying to accomplish and what are the different ways you want to collaborate with the influencer. Because at the end of the day, influencer marketing isn't just about paying somebody to get them to help promote your products. It's much, much more than that. And that's something that I really go into detail in the book about. You do. And there was one other of many parts that just warmed the cockles of my heart. And that is that through influencer marketing, you can gain deeper insights into your customers. Yeah, no, exactly. It's There's a lot of talk about the inside out. So how do you get information about your company or about your products out into the marketplace? But there's a lot that you can do with outside in. So how do you take the fact that influencers are speaking to your customers every day, they have a really deep connection with them, you can then incorporate that insight into your product development, into your innovation. And so there are case studies in the book, especially, for example, in the health and beauty space, there are a few companies that actually bring influencers into their labs to help generate cosmetics for their specific market, understanding that different locations and different geographies have different preferences. And so it's a really creative way to almost tap into a consumer panel at scale because that one individual has a lot more insight into your customer than a single one would have if you just hit an individual customer interview. Yeah, and companies don't know as much about their customers as they think they do or that they want to know. And I think the smart ones are leveraging that aspect of influencer marketing to gain uh, deeper insights into, you know, product development and services and all kinds of things that are that are really re- relevant to their success. So, Joel, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? The first thing I'd say is, you know, influencer marketing isn't going anywhere. It's going to become more important to how business is done. And so that goes to what we were just talking about in terms of the inward outside, so promotions and sales, as well as the outward in, so gaining customer insights and and fueling innovation. Um, But more importantly, it's going global. This is something that's going to impact the way business is done. And obviously, it's going to change. Like we're not today, a lot of the conversation is centered on, you know, how are companies paying influencers to post about their products on Instagram. But as people learn more and more about how influencers can be incorporated into their businesses to really get right to the hearts of their customers, I think that's where you're going to see things change. And that's where the true value really begins. Great. It's just one more thing that makes marketing even more complicated. Thanks, Joel. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> what, uh, what books have inspired your work and career? Yeah, so I've read, obviously, I read a lot. I'm kind of an avid consumer of all kinds of information. But if I were to point to a few books that really helped me with the writing of digital influence, first and foremost, I'd say Seth Godin's book, Interruption Marketing. Mm. The way that he's positioned that really helped me create a framework of interruption marketing versus influencer marketing. And that's really a key part of the book that I hammer home early on in the book. Um, The other one is understanding the influencer side. So again, my book is more of how can companies understand how to work with influencers more effectively, but I really wanted to get a sense of, you know, how does somebody become influential and what does their life look like? And so to do that, there were a couple books. First was um, Mark Schaefer, who we had mentioned earlier. Um, His two books, Known and Return on Influence, were, were key here. I mean, he has put a lot of time and thought into, you know, what does it take for somebody to become influential? And he's done a great job breaking that down in a very easily understandable way. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other one is with somebody I interviewed for the book. Her name is Brittany Hennessy. She gave me early access to findings from her book, Influencer. And, and her knowledge was based on years of leading um, influencer relations for Hearst Media. So a lot of practical hands-on experience that really informed my um, my writing, especially on the consumer side. Oh, interesting. Okay. 
We'll make sure to um, include links to all those books in your episode's uh, show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. Are there any recent or upcoming books that you recommend or have heard of or you're looking forward to reading? Uh, there's two by by two people I know fairly well. So first is uh, Dan Shaw Bell is coming out with his third book. It's called Back to Human. It's coming out with Hatchet in November. And it's looking at this thing of this idea that we're all so consumed by our devices and social media. And it's how do we bring back the human element to the way business is done in our relationships with our colleagues and partners. Um, so that's something I'm really excited for. And the other one is Cynthia Johnson is the CEO of a company here in LA called Bell and Ivy. Uh, she's coming out with a book called Platform with Penguin Random House in January. And again, it draws on her ex- personal experience building a tremendous personal brand um, and breaking it down to an actionable set of frameworks that anybody can use. So really that, that influencer side of how do you build your influence across platforms. So how best can listeners learn more about you and your book? Well, I, I try to make it easy. I don't try to hide on the internet. So if you want to go to Amazon, you can just type in digital influence and you can add my last name, Backler. It's B-A-C-K-A-L-E-R. Um, there's also a book site at digitalinfluencebook.com or you can go to my personal site, joelbackler.com, where you can find additional information about digital influence, my other book, and just the other work that I do on a regular basis. Terrific. Well, we'll include links to your your site, your Twitter handle, your LinkedIn profile uh, in this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And Joel, I am going to include a link to that article in the New York Post about the Halloween costume for influencers. And for you, dear listener, if you're listening on your smartphone and you subscribe to the Marketing Book Podcast on your podcast player of choice like uh, Apple Podcasts, all these links can be found by going to this episode on your podcast player on your phone and clicking on the show notes link. Final quote, as much as modern day influencers are pushing brands to revisit their assumptions about what it will take to engage their target audiences, influencers significance will only increase in importance in the years to come. Influencer marketing is not a passing fad that can be written off as just another new sexy tool in the marketer's toolbox, but rather the beginning of something much bigger. The name of the book is Digital Influence, Unleash the Power of Influencer Marketing to Accelerate Your Global Business. The author is Joel Backler. Joel, thank you very much for being on the Marketing Book Podcast. Thank you, Douglas. And that closes the book on episode 198 of the Marketing Book Podcast. For more, check out this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or other helpful resource for whatever situation you find yourself in, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I'll try to point you in the right direction. My name again is Douglas Burdett. Special thanks to our sponsor, Blinkist, to support the Marketing Book Podcast and start your free Blinkist trial or get 20% off your yearly plan. Visit Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast. And please join us next time as we welcome Anthony Anarino back to the Marketing Book Podcast for the third time to talk about his new book, Eat Their Lunch, Winning Customers Away from Your Competition. And make sure to stay subscribed to the Marketing Book Podcast because we've got a very, very special guest joining us for the 200th episode. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast.